All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Root Solution, learning how to control the basics. This is Kai. This is Noah, and we have Dr. Whitney Marsh. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on today, guys. So Dr. Whitney is somebody that I met recently. It's been maybe six, 10 weeks. Um, I had the pleasure of going to see her in her actual office um, and get to see kind of what she does firsthand. Um, Dr. Whitney is a chiropractor. Um, I know historically I've been critical of chiropractors on our podcast. And one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about is why not all chiropractors are created equal, like not all PTs are created equal. And just because someone has that association doesn't mean really anything other than that's just where they got their, their base start. Um, I know you work in Blair chiropractic. That's correct. So I have a specialty technique within the umbrella of chiropractic. I focus on specific and gentle adjustments of the neck. Um, Blair upper cervical technique is the formal term used for that specialty. Yes. You want me to dive in a little bit more? Yeah, yes, well, well, please. First, I want to I want to be really clear to everybody. So historically, part of my problem with the chiropractic industry is how generalized the adjustments were. And I have the same critical analysis of massage therapy and PTs when we get really general and not specific on how to help people. One of the things I immediately stood out to me about how you go about things is one, how detailed you are, two, how you use imagery in a really unique way, and then three, how specific you are and how you help people. So if you could address those three things in your and your viewpoint of how you do stuff, that would be incredible. Cause it is really, really different than traditional, like going to see somebody, they crack you and 20 minutes later, they kick you out the door. It is not that. Right. It is not that that's correct. And I think that's kind of what makes Blair chiropractic stand out a lot. We don't snap crackle pop the neck. Um, and I'll, I'll walk you through it a little bit. So as far, just kind of the general philosophy behind Blair is that the body is asymmetrical. That is the norm. If you took a picture of the right side of your face and you took a picture of the left side of your face and you put those two photos together, you might not have an image that looks anything like your actual face. So this discrepancy between the two sides is something to expect rather than to expect that each side is the same. And so with Blair, we take that into consideration in looking at every single joint within the neck from the right and the left side. Uh, We do that through CBCT. So that is state-of-the-art imaging called cone beam CT. And what this is, is a three-dimensional scan of the neck that then gets computed onto a computer where I can interact with a three-dimensional landscape. And it is mind-blowingly cool. One of my favorite things about the practice, um, it allows me to answer and ask so many different questions than I would be able to with just 2D film. So um, with that being said, I get to analyze every joint in the neck and actually take an angle of each joint in the neck so that when I'm asking the body and setting up to make a correction, I use a protractor and line myself up accordingly um, and use a drop away headpiece. So I use gravity as a part of adjustment to make it gentle and specific. And honestly, we don't want to address or adjust the neck every visit, right? For us, if somebody is holding their correction, that is healing. And so in those moments where somebody's holding their upper cervical correction, we'll actually go through and address the rest of the spine and do full spine work because it is all connected, right? We have overlaying sheets of muscles from the pelvis up to the neck. And so ignoring those parts of the body is kind of doing the person a disservice. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that really stood out to me was this idea that like, I can be specific in the problems. And when I went in to see you, we we got to look at some of that imaging of some, some people. Now, historically for Kai and I, when we work with people, it's a little bit of guesswork, right? We don't have, Mm -hmm. we don't have the ability to be really specific. We're being general. And I tell people like what makes me good at my job is I'm a pretty good guesser and I'm open to finding different pathologies. Right. But one of the things that really stood out to me was I have, you know, I've worked with people with chronic neck pain and I would have no way of knowing that we have 
you know, a natural fusion in the joint or something along those lines. And one of the first things you showed me was like, check this out, this natural fusion. So I could rub away as much as I want and it wouldn't matter. And so I thought that was so cool to have that sort of specific viewpoint on things. Right. And also way cool is that anomalies are the normal. Right. You know what what we see in a textbook and what we learn that is an average across so many different people and what I see most commonly is some sort of anomaly or uniqueness to that person and to just overlay one adjustment or type of adjustment to that person is also doing them a disservice and so yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love this work so much is I get to honestly honor the diversity of that human being and the uniqueness yeah. of that human being. Yeah, which is so freaking cool. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know you've been in the industry for quite some time. You're, you're obviously, you've got so much depth to your knowledge. Um, one of the things that stood out to me as well is when we were talking specifically about cranial nerves. Um for those of you out there that don't know what cranial nerves are, they're nerves that handle a lot of proprioception as well as like your peripheral nervous system. So sight, sight, smell, touch, things along those lines. Um, They're hugely important for helping your body regulate safety, right? And so if we were to think about like nature and us in nature, one of the primary things that keeps us safe is these feelers we have, right? And so one of the things that I really enjoyed in, in my time I've spent with you is we sat down with somebody and we got to take them through the cranial test and got mm-hmm. to watch. And this was somebody who had had a pretty aggressive trauma in her past. Mm-hmm. So she'd been going through all kinds of different modalities for care and we couldn't find any sort of solution. And watching you go through the cranial testing with her, it stood out to me that sometimes like we've got to go deeper into the root. Um, one of the reasons I got so excited about having you here today was the opportunity to have somebody who knows so much about cranial nerves um, be available to us to ask questions. So if you don't mind, could you give us just like a brief synopsis of like cranial nerves, what they are and things along those lines, why they're important? Yeah, absolutely. So you really hit the nail on the head with that word safety. Um, The area that the cranial nerves exit from our brain and head to the rest of our body lies along what a lot of docs will refer to as the lizard brain, right? That is (laughs) fight or flight control. That is our area of like primalness, if you will, breathing centers, um, drive to eat, sexual function. So having the word safety associated with cranial nerves is huge because when we step out of a space of safety, that is when a lot of issues start showing up with our cranial nerves. And that kind of like stepping out of safety could be from emotional trauma, physical trauma, quite literally, it could be from toxins, whether that be inhaled or absorbed through the skins, three different things that are major culprits here. Um, But for cranial nerves, uh, I'll just run through all of them really fast so that there can be a nice little premise. Um, There's 12 of them. Uh, The first one is your olfactory nerve. And so what that is referring to is your sense of smell. Um, the second is an optic nerve that is referring to your ability to see. Um, the third is called oculomotor. And so this is one of three nerves that controls eye movements. The fourth is called trochlear, also an eye movement. The fifth is your trigeminal. This is one I love. We'll dive into this one a little bit further in a minute. Um, But this is facial sensation. Uh, The sixth, abducens, also a movement of the eye. Number seven is your facial nerve. So your ability to make very fun facial expressions and smiles and raise your eyebrows to your forehead. Uh, Eight, vestibulocochlear. So also a huge one here. especially for the practitioner listening, right? Because this is going to be playing a role in patient balance. Um, Vestibular cochlear is your ability to hear as well as that um, equilibrium system. So where you are in space. Number nine, glossopharyngeal. That's a mouthful because it is in your mouth, right? It allows you to taste as well as sense texture of your food. Um, Number 10, my personal favorite, vagus. This nerve 
does a lot for the head and neck, but is also in control of that rest and digest system throughout your entire body. Uh, 11 spinal accessory. If everybody will shrug their shoulders to their ears, you're using spinal accessory. And the last one here is number 12. And that is your hypoglossal, which is your tongue. And so your ability to speak, your ability to swallow, right? And all of these things at a distance seem like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. But if you think about the impact of them and not having appropriate use of them, say you can't swallow, right? Say you can't control your tongue appropriately. What's going to happen? You're probably going to snore really loud. You're probably going to have difficulty swallowing. It's probably going to be weird to talk, right? Um, or olfactory, the ability to smell. Um, oftentimes people are like, oh, I've just had a poor sense of smell my whole life. And it's like, okay, let's pick that apart really quick because that's not actually normal. That's just normal for you in the moment. <laughs> um, so let's work on that. Uh, the reason why I use these in practice is because a person's function of their cranial nerves actually gives me an indication of how much stress is going on in their system. Um, the brainstem where all of these cranial nerves are coming out is at the very base of the skull, right before the spinal cord is exiting into the spinal canal. Right. And so if you could imagine, I think one of the best analogies is like a balloon on a string. Okay. We're going to say the balloon is the brain. And we're going to say the little string is your spinal cord. If you pull that string to one side, what happens with the balloon? It moves with it, right? If you pull that string to the other side, it moves with it. Imagine if you have a concrete container for your balloon. And then you're starting to move your string to one side or the other. You're then starting to get these pressures, which aren't necessarily meant to be there. And that's kind of that example with having misalignments in the neck and how much pressure that you can be putting, not just on your cranial nerves, but on the blood flow that's headed to your brain, as well as the precious cerebral spinal fluid that cleanses our brain too. Does that uh, answer some of those questions? Yes. Well, there's, there's a lot here, right? I mean, I think, I mean, obviously all those nerves are so imperative to, to survival and being human, but it's interesting because one of the things that I hear most commonly when I work with people in practice is they reference brain fog. And so mm. kind of one of the first things that came to mind was this, when you started listing those off and, and this actually is, I have all kinds of thoughts that we've already kind of went through, but that one in specific kind of just stood out to me in that it's such a common complaint for people, right? That they, right. they reference. Is brain fog something that could be attributed to cranial nerves? Absolutely. And that is, again, kind of coming back to these three different things is what sort of traumas have you had in your life? Emotional or physical, right? Both play a role what sort of toxins are in your body right now that can attribute to that brain fog, right? We could go down a whole other podcast of leaky gut, leaky brain. Cool. So that's another big piece that plays into brain fog. And, and then thoughts is going to be a huge one. So people's mental landscape and their ability to maintain a positive attitude, self-love, that is going to play also another huge role into brain fog, but with the cranial nerves, absolutely. Something that you can see with people that come in and say, they're like, I'm chronically fatigued or like, I just can't think straight, or it's really hard for me to do this thing. Oftentimes their brain is very noisy. So right. there's so much going on. And oftentimes with those folks as well, you will see that presentation in their eye movements. And right. so that's going to be that, um, cranial nerve three, four, six. Right. And so looking at the different eye movements, seeing how well that they can hold a fixation or how well they can follow a finger and trap is going to give you a good example about how much noise is on that system. So somebody coming in, they're complaining of brain fog. You're doing a simple cardinal fields of gaze check and their eye movements are all over the place. That's where you start. Right. Well, I think to to kind of like put this into perspective with some of the previous podcasts we talked about, a lot of people 
have this feeling of helplessness, right? Like they can't understand where anxiety comes from, where they can't right. understand the way they feel. And I think some of this podcast for me was I wanted to offer clearance to people to let them know that like, they're not broken. Like right. some might not be right in their system, but they're, they're not broken. There's not something mm-hmm. wrong with it. In fact, we just may not have a, a sense of safety and, and taking things back to that primal nature of like, Hey, if you were a deer in a forest and you heard a, a horn, how would you react? The, the, I think what I hope people hear from this is that if my eyes don't work correctly, I'm going to take in more sensory inputs, which makes me feel less safe. More right. sensory inputs being less safe means more anxiety naturally, meaning that I'm always going to feel anxiety because I can't downregulate and stop that from happening. Correct. And that's completely external from you as yeah. a person, right? Or here's a totally different pathway you could go down with this. Say somebody has all right-sided complaints. My right shoulder hurts. My right wrist hurts. My right ankle hurts. You're doing a check with them and they have a really hard time to look to the right completely. Our inability to look to the right or find safety to the right, that is going to stimulate the brain to create pain in the brain. So the pain may not even be coming from the shoulder, wrist, or the ankle whatsoever. It may be an issue of, I can't see what's over there. And that's really scary. Right. And that's a big part of why I try to have these conversations with people and help them understand this, because the truth of pain is it's so much more complex than blunt force trauma to an area or potential aberrant tissue, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is pain is a signal from our, our brain, um, essentially like trying to clarify safety. Right. And so yeah. you can snooze the alarm clock all you want, but if we can't generalize and create safety and create function, then we have a problem. And I think part of, you know, when I talk about strength training with people and I have a conversation about what we're doing in the gym, a lot of people want to have a conversation in terms of aesthetics, but what I'm trying to help them understand is it's your body setting up patterns and creating peripheral stimulus so we feel safe in space that we can translate to other places. Not, mm-hmm. I just want bigger, better biceps, right? Right, right. And so the, that's the thing I think about cranial nerves. And I think about the, the system as a whole, right? Doing a bicep curl is so much more than just doing a bicep curl. There's a lot of peripheral stimulus according to that. It's affecting yeah. nerves. It's affecting safety in space. It's, it's, cha- it's literally adapting and changing biology. And mm-hmm. so I think these are the things that stood out to me when I was listening to and watching you evaluate the young lady that we had interacted with, she had had a major car accident. Correct. And she, her body had shut down all kinds of space. Like you were doing testing on her and there was all kinds of things. There was sirens everywhere, right? Yes, absolutely. And for her, just doing a little bit of therapeutic eye movement actually turned down those findings within five minutes, right? Right which is pretty incredible. Like our, I think you totally hit the nail on the head here is that our, you're not broken. Your body is perfect. It is so incredibly intelligent. It wants to heal. Matter of fact, it is created to heal. Right. Yeah. And so if given the appropriate opportunity, what can happen? Right. Well, and again, going back, it's like helping people understand. So people that are listening to our podcast that are in other countries or in other states, like I urge you to find somebody that works with cranial nerves that can help you find those levels of safety and some sort of semblance of, of comfort and control with these things. Because the reality mm-hmm. is the, that just, there's a good chance that's the root of your problems. Very true. Very true. And as well for those folks that are dealing with that anxiety that just can't go away. Right. What, you know, what really is the root of the cause? What is it? Is it an emotional trauma that you just haven't really like dug up and started to process yet? Um, Is it that your first vertebra is misaligned and quite literally you're putting a chokehold on your brainstem? Right. Well, so to that point, I wanted to ask you as far as like how you manipulate cranial nerves. I know, you know, we've talked in the past, our body's a meat sack, right? Like we only have so much space to work within. So I can imagine like having issues with you know, inflammation or movement in terms of, of joints can, could potentially be a huge problem. How do you directly affect change in that? Adjust. I'm a chiropractor. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's my wheelhouse. If, 
if somebody is showing this presentation, I am going to evaluate and adjust accordingly. Right. And it takes time. And I think that's another piece that should really be hit home here is that some things do clear up nearly immediately, but healing is not instantly gratifying. And unfortunately we are super trained into <laughs> loving that instant gratification, right? Yeah. The, the difference is that true healing, it takes time. It's probably right. going to be really uncomfortable. It takes hard work, but it's possible, right? right? And, and so oftentimes what we do in office is evaluate all 12 cranial nerves at an initial visit and then adjust the neck, adjust the spine for about another eight weeks. And then we come back and we reassess and we say, Hey, what's cleared up from having this adjusting input? How, how have you improved and what can we do differently now moving forward? What is still lingering? Honestly, you guys, it is so incredible how much will clear up in that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I just wanted to cut in there. Um, so it, it's interesting because um, the work, the certification that I did works with crane owners, but we do it. Uh, we manipulate the crane owners in a little bit in a different way. So I want to get your take on, on kind of like how we do it, but I feel like there's no like right, right or wrong way to treat the cranial nerves, but whatever it works for that patient. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so for us, we, you know, we tested the, the cranial nerves, um, all I'm assuming the same way that you guys do. Um, and then for treatment wise, we actually have a breathing protocol because it has to do with a lot with like breathing and stuff like that. So there's like different, uh, variances of, uh, breathing patterns that we treat with, as well as stimulating the nerve. Um, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, so right off the bat, when you start saying breathing pattern, cranial nerve 10, Vegas, mm -hmm. Vegas, yeah. baby. Yeah, I love that nerve. Yeah. So, uh, that, and then also just having the breath and the stimulation going through the throat, you're mm -hmm. already hitting hypoglossal as well as glossopharyngeal. So mm -hmm. that's, three, just from doing a breathing exercise. And then, um, walk me through what some of the other stimulations would be for the other nerves. Um, so let's see, I have this whole chart here. Um, yeah, I like charts. Yeah. I mean, it helps me a lot. Um, so for the assessment for like, uh, let's say, cause you already went through like the, all the optical ones pretty much. Um, so for like facial, the facial one, facial nerve yes. 12, uh, seven, uh, we look at like raising your eyebrows, um, your ability to show your teeth, smiling, puff out cheeks, move ears. Uh, and then we also, we use um, vibration as well. Um, so we use a tuning fork um, towards the inner ear to see how that affects it. Um, and then we use the tuning fork as well for vestibular cochlear uh, for head position and stuff like that. Um, SCM and upper traps for sensory or spinal accessory. Uh, we just have them shrug basically. Um, but yeah, like all these, but we're, when we, we test those. We're also muscle testing as well because it's based in applied kinesiology. So um, we're seeing if that weakens a muscle that stimulates any of those um, nerves. Uh, but the you know it's interesting because like when you hear breathing exercises, it's like you know counting four seconds in and seven seconds out, that kind of stuff. But what's really interesting with these is that they have certain names to them. So I'll just give them to you. Uh, chain Stokes. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have Kuzmals, Abnustics, Biots, or Cluster Respiration, and then Ataxic. So it's like, for the listeners out there, they're very, they're not like, you know, very, you know, steady and, and um, like organized. They're very disorganized. Uh, ways of breathing so like for example chain stokes is a tidal volume so it starts shallow and then progressively gets deeper and then progressively gets shallower followed by 
um, a significant, significant apnea. So it's like, I can't even do it. <laughs> it's just, it's very slow, gets bigger and then gets smaller. So it's, it's very interesting to see, but yeah, go ahead. So let's unpack it a little bit. I'm going to, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to the breathing. Cause that's huge. That's really cool. Yeah. So mm -hmm. with, with the stimulations, right. Mm -hmm. we have our nervous system is built to have different sensory input. So there's different nerves that carry vibration. There's mm -hmm. different nerves that carry light touch. There's different nerves that carry pain. There's different nerves that carry deep touch and pressure. And all of these nerves have varying pathways. And so we can use those as part of our toolbox to stimulate the brain, which is really radical putting a tuning fork in the ear helps with the facial nerve because that facial nerve literally exits the brain right at the ear canal. Now mm -hmm. think of all those folks who have incredibly hypertonic or super tight neck muscles. Mm -hmm. What's happening in their ear? They probably have tinnitus. They probably right. have wicked headaches, right? <laughs> and so having that stimulation there may be able to turn down. Um, the other piece is the breathing. So a lot of those breathing techniques are actually breathing techniques that can put someone into a state of stress. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's super interesting to take somebody out of this space of safety to create the stimulation, to try and stress them out, but still be integrating or like reaffirming, Hey, you're okay. We want to make sure that this pathway is connected. We want to make sure those lights are on right here. Right. Mm -hmm. Or we want you to be aware of this area, even when you're stressed out. And so that mm -hmm. is such a wonderful way to train your brain in a state of stress, right. To an extent, I'm sure some people probably yeah. are off the charts when, when mm -hmm. you start asking them to do a little bit more, um, yeah. but awesome. I, I love that a lot. And, um, there's, there's many rivers that lead to the sea right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, cause like, um, to, to put it in a simpler way, like, I feel like the treatments that we do is more software based for people that are techie. And then yours is a little bit more hardware ish. Yes. So I feel like there, you know, there's, like you said, river flows to the sea, uh, different ways to skin a cat, all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it definitely, uh, cause like working with cranial nerves is a little scary for some people. Um, and so this actually makes me feel better about it. Um, and, and knowing that there's a different way to, um, to heal somebody in a, in a different way, that's not as software based, but more hardware based, um, you know, just helps me know that there's other tools out there to help with that. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Exactly. exactly. Um, I always think of if we're like software based for me, I was always under the impression, like there's no misbehaving muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Muscles have innervation. Nerves come from spinal cord and brain. And so figuring out a way to address the nerve so that it is stress-free that that's, that's, that's where it's at. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you and I had talked about, this before a little bit I had kind of I wanted to kind of get it out there because I think it's good information um you know a lot of my experience with with um re information regarding what's current going currently going on in the world uh, regarding the Rona um it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in a lot of ways um including the way they define the loss of taste and smell and so the way it's described is it's mucus sheathing going away and you're waiting for it to come back which is why you can't smell and taste but in my understanding of mucus sheathing that doesn't make sense to me for a lot of reasons but we won't get too nerdy on that um but one of the things that stands out to me is when i look at respiratory function and congruency to people's reaction to to covid um one of the things that stood out to me when we were talking was where those cranial nerves cross in terms of the pathway the air pathway the neck and how mm -hmm. I wonder if people with upper respiratory issues prior to COVID, um, which have potentially have inflammatory markers or overstressed air passes to begin with, um, if those types of things could affect cranial nerves and what if that had a, maybe a correlation to smell, loss of smell and loss of uh, taste. Good question. 
Um, as far as virus and affecting the cranial nerves, that's super hypothetical to me. To me, it does make sense that there is some sort of role coming into play. Um, however, do I have the science right now to back that up? No, that's just my understanding. Um, with to simpl- I, I should simplify that because I also don't want to go on record as like saying something crazy like that either. Yeah. Um, let's make that simpler. Could, could having um, an upregulated nervous system that leads to um, like air passage issues cause impingement with cranial nerves? Yeah. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, right. That's, that's why, why do you have air? Like, why do you have the airway issue in the first place? Right. A lot of, of some of the coolest signs coming out right now with um, the cone beam CT are airway studies. Um, some EENTs are also doing this and they're finding, uh, well, and within the chiropractic office too, we're finding that there are a lot of people, the majority of the people coming in for care have lost their cervical curve. Right. And so what that means is that our neck should normally be in a C shape, the C shape pointing backwards, the nice round convex part being by the throat. Um, and my personal opinion is that it's, this is a societal issue, right? We're always texting, tweeting, looking down, driving, heads come forward. Um, and our head is coming forward. And as our head comes forward, we're putting pressure on different sorts of vertebra. We're making these changes. We are compressing part of our airway. And then what does our body instinctively do when part of our airway starts to get compressed? Our head comes forward even more because it wants to open that airway again. And so then we have this vicious cycle. Um, Yes, cranial nerves can definitely come into play with the breath as well, right? We were talking about that vagus nerve. It has those pathways that are going down to the diaphragm to stimulate that diaphragm movement. Um, Lack of taking a deep breath, starting to breathe just from your chest, Two different things here happen. One, you're probably putting yourself into a state of stress because you're not getting enough oxygen in and you're not getting enough CO2 out. So that puts you into a space of anxiety in the first place. And then number two compounding factor here is that you're starting to overwork muscles in your neck that aren't meant to be used all day long, right? Our diaphragm is our primary breathing muscle. When we start tapping away from the diaphragm and only breathing from our chest, we start tapping into these accessory muscles that are only supposed to really be used when we're trying to get that last of air, when we're running away from the cheetah. Right. (laughs) Problem is our brain doesn't know the difference between stress from a deadline and stress from the cheetah. So we start to tighten up and create adhesions in these muscles in the neck, which then what happens, we start to create distortions in the spine and start putting pressure on all cranial nerves. Right, yeah. So breathing in, in and this is kind of, I, I think for me, when I had heard you talk about cranial nerves, one of the things that stood out to me was you have a, an area in the neck that's so congested and there's so much going on there. Um, and after all, we are meat sack, right? In the end, like. The, the reality of it is we only have so much space to work. And so we're going to run out of space. And if we run out of space, there's going to be impingement issues. And so those are some things that really stood out to me was if you're driving um, focus and force to tissue or muscles, they're naturally going to become inflamed because frankly, they're trying to heal, right? And that's the healing process. And so if somebody's a regular chest breather or breathes out of their mouth primarily, they're going to be massively upregulated. But I think the other thing we don't consider is the amount of inflammation that's going to be created by that without any sort of downturn in inflammation, which can lead to cranial nerve issues as well as, you know, I mean, countless others, right. We know neck pain, back pain, things like that. Um, so that was something that just kind of like, was like, Oh shit. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just never really drew the, drew the line to it being like potentially an optical issue could be driven by something like that. Yes. Right. Or a potential ankle issue could literally be driven by an optical issue, right. not being able to look one way or another. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that congruency of like, 
like every sort of nervous system working together, every sort of joint working together just continues to like baffle me that the human body is so well connected and so well mechanized that everything has to work in, in order together. Um, it's such a crazy, crazy thing. Um, I know you'd reference vestibular stuff. Um, vestibular issues seem to be kind of like a newer, a newer thing to the world. They're starting to understand more and more and more what it is. If you don't mind just giving a little bit of credence to like what vestibular, maybe a little more detail as to what vestibular stuff is, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. So the vestibular system refers to our system that senses equilibrium, where we are in space. So there's three, and this system is located within our ears. And right. there's three different canals. And they are in different, the three different planes of motion. So you have one that's running vertical, you've got one that's running horizontal, and then you've got one that's more at an oblique angle, right? And so within each of these canals, imagine them like a giant tube, we have hair cells. And so they're like little fingers on either side of the tube surrounding the entire tube and its diameter. Within the tube as well, there's tiny little crystals. Functional name is otolith. Right. And so these little otoliths, when we move our body, tickle and pass along the hair cells. Those yeah. hair cells are what sends a signal to the brain to say, hey, this semicircular canal, this tube right now is getting stimulated. So that means that you're tilted sideways or you're tilted left or you're looking backwards right now. And here's where we get some issues. So vestibular issues can come in a, a few different ways. One of them can be one of those little crystals in my ear is not in the right place. And so when I move my body to tilt to the right, I'm getting the stimulus, not only that I'm tilting to the right, but also that I'm tilting backwards. And so right. that's where we start to get that feeling of the dizzies or the spins. Um, another piece that can cause vertigo is misalignments of your cervical vertebra, right? You have, just like we were talking about with that balloon analogy, you got too much stress going on down below. It, it's gonna build up somewhere. And for a lot of people, it builds up in the ears, right? Um, and then the third piece is that you could have dysfunction of that vestibular cochlear nerve, of that cranial nerve itself. And for some folks that may have come as a kid when they had a really bad virus, um, and they had some sort of damage to that ear or really bad ear infection, um, or it can come because of trauma to that ear over time, uh, or it could come because of quite literally misalignments in the neck over time. And you literally just damaged that nerve because you didn't take care of it. <laughs> so, right. So a, a few different pieces there. Um, cool thing about the vestibular system though, is how connected it is to our eyes as well as primarily our feet, right? Our feet are our other piece that kind of tell us where we are, the connection with gravity. Um, yeah. And so it, it, narrowing down to figure out where your disease are coming from, a good step is closing your eyes. And say, closing your eyes, lifting up one foot. Yep. Yeah. That was, so, that's just me doing that Friday. Exactly. Exactly. And so that helps you narrow down, Hey, what part of this system is kind of dysfunctional right now? All three, is it actually coming from the brain, the little part of your brain, the cerebellum, the baby brain at the base of the skull. And, and that area of the brain actually is where all of those different factors come into play. Right. Yeah. So you'd reference damaged nerves. I know there's no like necessarily timetable in terms of how fast or slow things heal, but um, if somebody were to have a damaged nerve with mild severity, um, is it something to be really concerned about? Is it something that can heal pretty quick? Great question. So nerves, my understanding, take 90 days to heal, right? If um, technical term here is Valerian degeneration. Okay. So that style and type of healing takes 90 days. Granted, just like we were saying with normals earlier, 
Sure. Normal is just a setting on a washing machine, right? right? Some people may be way less. Some people may be way longer. I don't know. It's really hard to say. But at, as like a marker, it takes 90 days for a nerve to go through a full cycle of healing. Does that healing stop after 90 days? No, definitely not. Our bodies are self-healing system, right? Of course, we're constantly going through and keeping ourselves in check. The reason I think that that what you just said there is so important is there's such a misnomer, especially in the fitness world, that if we have a nerve impingement, once we unimpinge the nerve, the nerve itself should just work right away. And I think for me, that's a huge struggle. I love everyone shaking their head. Um, I, for me, that's a huge struggle because it's a misnomer in the industry that I have to like overcome and that you're like, hey, a nervous tissue, just like anything else, and it's going to have to reheal like everything else. It's not like a wire in a wall that when you like unimpinge it, it works, right? It's not a hose bib where like we just unfold it and the water goes through. The reality is it's a living, breathing cell as well. Another thing I always have for conversation with people about is my understanding of nerves is that they can atrophy and grow in size based on usage. And so um, in your experience with like working with nerves and things like that, do you find that like well-connected nerves tend to be thicker and more dense? Uh, great question. I, that would be a total nerve study, right? Um, yeah. I wish that I had the x-ray vision to like look yeah, within the yeah. and see. I guess However, so on this, <laughs> that would be, that would be such a cool superpower. Um, on the topic, this is something that is like the new fancy shiny toy within neuroscience, right? Is neuroplasticity. So the right. brain's the brain's ability and the body's ability to change. And right. I think about patients in chronic pain. You know, they they've had an injury at some sort. I check their spine. Their spine is clear. They're looking good. They still have that dull ache that just won't go away, right? To some extent, they've been in pain so long and they've had so much mental focus on that area that they have grown new nerve endings to sense pain in that area. Right. What we focus on attracts, right? What we focus on grows. And right. so a huge piece for these chronic pain patients, it's going to be a lot of mental and mindful work. And right. it's like, you have to say it in the kindest way possible. Not all of it is in your head, but yeah, some of it's in your head. Right. Right. And, and we have to work on both parts. We have to work with the body. We have to work with the brain. We have to work with the mindset too. That is going to be huge. Um, if anybody's super interested in this topic, one of my favorite books is Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. Super easy read and intro into what I'm talking about here and that your mental capacity literally has the ability to dictate the rest of your body. Well, and I think people don't realize that mental capacity is load, right? I think the cells respond to one language and only one language, which is load, right? And so if we're going to put any sort of stress on our body, it responds as load. And so if I deadlift 500 pounds or I have excessive neg negative thoughts, they both register as load to cells and the cells are going to adapt and change in accordance. And I think right. that was something that really stood out to me historically when I, you know, like started learning about this stuff was like, oh shit, like the power of positivity kind of is there is a power to that piece right there's biology there 100 percent, a huge power a huge power yes yeah yeah well that's the thing you know when kai and i were in school and we were learning about eastern medicine um it was interesting because like it, it's easy to poo poo eastern medicine it's really easy to like poo poo this idea of chakras and things like that but what we found was that as we looked into western medicine there was plenty of things that actually absolutely upheld that stuff. It's just stuff that's not treated, not taught or treated in the medical industry in terms of like the formal medical industry. And so this idea of like the biology of positive thinking or the biology around, you know, like I hear words like chakra and it's like, 
I get, I struggle with those words still to this day, but the reality of those things is their energy, their energy pathways. And we know that our bodies function on electronic magnetic waves. We know that the primary function of the way our brain communicates to our muscles is through electronic magnetic waves. So I think part of the reason what you do is so powerful is that you're opening up optics and the, the ability to create function through those magnetic waves. And so, you know, I do it in a different way than Kai does and he does it in a different way than you do it. But the reality is, is they're all stimulus to change and make ordinance to the body. And I love that. Right. Huge. Um, another piece of literature that immediately came to mind when you were talking about chakras and energy centers and the biology within the body. Um, the book is called Molecules of Emotion by Dr. Candice B. Pert. And so mm -hmm. she is one of the original scientists who discovered um, essentially where receptors are for our hormones, our neurochemicals that give us happiness or sadness or all these different pieces. And she was the one that mapped them out in the brain and the spinal cord. And one of the pieces in her story, I'm going to spo spoiler alert here, but um, someone came in from a more Eastern understanding and lays out this chakra map and is like, do you see a similarity with the work that I you're finding? And guess what? Yeah. Overlay of where those receptor centers are line up with the chakras. Yes. Yeah. Science yeah. is just starting to catch up. That's, that's my understanding, right? A lot of these things that are like hippie dippy or hoodoo voodoo. It's like, what well, you know, there's Not actually really. something to it. Not really. Like, let's start looking at the neuroscience and, and un unpacking it a little bit. Do you find struggles? Because I mean, based on the conversations we're having, you're obviously not a, a standard chiropractor in the way you approach things, which is one of the things that I, I adore about you right away, right? But do you find struggles? I know Kai and I speak endlessly about our struggles in the PT world with where we find trouble. Do you have a hard time like creating buy-in with other you know, chiros or, or even with clients who are used to traditional chiropractic versus what you're saying? That's a great question. I think in general, all areas of healthcare have a certain level of education, right? Sure. And oftentimes I feel that with the folks that aren't, don't have that buy-in or have like passed off care or those other docs that are like still, no, I don't understand what you do. Right. I feel like that's my bad for not being able to connect to, to them in a learning style or understanding style in which they can comprehend. Right. And so I think that's, yeah, in some ways that is a growing edge for me. It's like, how, how do I communicate to you the, what I see is so incredibly important. Right. And so for me, I found success with just being passionate about what I do. Right. And, and the other piece is, encouraging people to ask questions that they don't understand. Right. I will take that pause and be like, do you get it? Like, how, how are you? Like, do you want to do a say back what I just say <laughs> to make sure we're on, we're on the same level. Right. And, and some, it takes repetition. It takes repetition. And you know what, there are always going to be those folks that aren't ready to hear. Yeah. And I just keep reminding myself to show them love, show them compassion. One day they may be walking back into my office saying, all right, I'm ready to actually commit to myself and start healing. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, like, I feel like all three of us right now are on this journey to help educate a greater population on the fact that healing takes time. It's going to be uncomfortable it's going to take hard work and it is so worth it. Right. And, and that really is a mental shift that needs to happen. It's almost a paradigm shift that needs to happen. Right. We are living in a world where one pill fix all or three pills fix all. Right. I, who knows, but you get the picture. Right. And really in reality, like it doesn't fix the root cause. Right. Yeah, that's such a, there's like so much depth that like this idea of what is the root cause, right? Like, like that all its own right is tough. But um, 
I think your passion is motivating and it makes me smile every time I get to interact with you. I, I really thank you for being on our podcast. I thank you for your time. I know you're so busy. Um, uh, where can we find you if people need help? That's a great question. So currently located and practicing in Mission Viejo at Well Connected Chiropractic. An easy way to connect would be going to the website and that is wellconnectedchiro.com. Yep, that's that's step number one. Go check out that webpage. Easy. I will, I, I like just to go on, on a limb for you, I, not that you haven't already done so much for your own brand already, but um, the imagery alone, I think is really valuable. You guys have pieces of imagery there or the ability to produce imagery there that not a lot of people have. And so for a lot of people out there that, that are listening to this, if you're in pain and you, you aren't, haven't gotten quality imaging. And when I say quality imaging, I mean like really good imaging, right? Like not just standard x-rays, you guys, you, the equipment you guys have there is next level. Um, the doctors are incredible in their own right, but you guys' equipment is also incredible. The facility is unreal. You have all the fun toys. Um, I strongly, strongly recommend people go in there, check it out. You have very different stuff than, than the traditional medical facility. And a lot of that stuff is useful. I know we've talked quite a bit about that, but um, so I urge people out there, go call them, check it out, like go by, even if it's just to get imaging to give to your current PT, like that alone is so valuable. I can't, I can't even stress that enough. Um, guys, I'm, we got to go, but you can find me at root.solution on Instagram and Facebook. Kai? Uh, you can find me at Control the Basics. And thank you so much, Dr. Whitney. That was really awesome. And I learned a lot. <laughs> thank, thank you both you. so much. I really appreciate you having me on here and having the time. And also just, I appreciate so much. And my heart is so swollen right now, right? Because there are other practitioners like you out there that are little warriors and working for this cause to help people be on their healing journey. And so I'm so excited for where we are all going in this process and can't wait to see what's, what, what comes out for us in the future. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.